text for the message this morning is Isaiah chapter 6. We'll read this together, Isaiah chapter 6, it's page 571. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew, and one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, and the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, How long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant, and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away. The forsaken places are many in the midst of the land, and though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump." Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, does your picture of what Jesus was like, does it look anything like the vision in Isaiah 6 that we just read? Does your experience and understanding of the worship services on Sunday compare to the experience of Isaiah in his vision, so that you and your children tremble in the presence of your holy and majestic God? Or, or, or have you tamed the holy Lord as if he was just a friend that you and your family visit from time to time when it is not too inconvenient for you? Isaiah 6 reveals to us who the Lord is and how we must worship him. 
And John 12, verse 41, tells us that Isaiah saw the Lord Jesus in this vision. The ongoing kingship and holiness and righteousness of our ascended Lord Jesus Christ is confirmed when we read Revelation. And then we see that there is no doubt that this vision of Isaiah 6 is still very important for us to, to understand the King Jesus Christ today. And guided by the mighty seraphim, we learn how to worship him. You can see in Isaiah 6, the worship service, the model of a worship service even today, begins by entering into the presence of the mighty king. Then he speaks in his holiness and we respond with our confession of sins until he tells us that our sins are covered and paid for. And then he sends us with a message to the world that he is righteous. And I preach to you the gospel under the following theme in his vision. Isaiah saw the glory of our Lord Jesus and spoke of him. We'll see the Lord is king he is holy, he is righteous. You notice in the first verse of Isaiah 6 that Isaiah tells us that he had this vision in the year that King Uzziah died. For, that, for us, that might not mean very much, but this was a definitive moment in the history of, of the church. It tells us that this vision came at the end of a long period of prosperity and the beginning of a long period of invasions and exiles and foreign occupation. For years, in this period of prosperity, Amos and Hosea had warned the people that God was not pleased with their insincere, superficial worship. Their attempts to fit God into their busy schedules. They were doing well. They were making money. There was lots to do. They prophesied against the people's desire to have God as someone who entertains them as long as he didn't make it too inconvenient. It was like people today who, who think of their week, Costco on Friday, skating on Saturday, church on Sunday, back to work on Monday or Sunday if I need to. You can read about that in Amos 8. They would be eager to get back to work already on the day of rest. Comfortable in their wealth. They were offering sacrifices. They were offering up prayers. They were singing some songs. Amos calls them idol songs. They were singing without thinking, singing without their heart. They went through the motions of worship. But like many people today, they were going to church without worshiping God. As a result, Isaiah Chapter 1 to 5, these chapters make it clear that the sins of God's covenant people had reached their fullness in the year that King Uzziah died. Their wealth, their comfortable lifestyle, that's the, the time when they began to fall further and further away. 
And judgment was on its way. That's the message of Isaiah. And we know it. Israel and Judah would never return to the peace and prosperity that they enjoyed during Uzziah's reign, during the reign of Jeroboam II over there in Israel. It's at this time that in his vision, the, Isaiah saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. Although it was not the essence of God that Isaiah saw because God is spirit and is completely beyond our comprehension, God did allow Isaiah to perceive his inconceivable majesty by presenting his glory in the images of a throne, a robe, and a bodily appearance. Like Stephen would experience years later. You can read about it in Acts 7. Isaiah could see beyond the, the regular realities of this life to see the immensity and the majesty of the God that he was worshiping. The throne that was high and lifted up. It was a, a great encouragement to, to Isaiah who, who could see the, the war that was coming, the exile he could see that the Lord was in control of the universe. When Isaiah saw the train of the Lord's garment filling the temple, he was reminded that even though the temple was the, the holiest place on all the earth through which man had access to the throne room of God, the temple was not a box that contained God into one little part of the cultural and religious life of the wealthy nations of Israel and Judah. If the earth is compared to God's footstool, the temple is a place where, where just a part of the hem of his royal robes fall into it. The vision tells us that God is, goes way beyond the temple that he is much bigger than any system of rules and, and customs in any church building or denomination in the earth. And when we worship him, we don't summon God into our presence. We don't call him to come here in our week. The time we allotted to him, but when we worship him, it's like a small, tiny drop of water in comparison to the vast oceans of the world. Isaiah saw majestic creatures around the throne of this king, the Lord. They looked like they were burning. The word seraphim is a plural of seraphs. You might have a different version. It's, it's a seraph just means a burning one. Seraphim means burning ones. He saw creatures that looked like they were, they were burning. And, and the original language mentions that they had six wings. It mentions it twice. They had six wings, six wings. Two allowed them to fly, perhaps even to hover above and around the throne. And Isaiah tells us that although these seraphim were so pure, and, and so holy to be so near to the throne of God, even the mighty seraphim were covering their feet 
with two of their wings as, as a humble sign of their own inferiority before the mighty king, the Lord, that Isaiah saw on the throne. Isaiah saw that rather than irreverently trying to fit God into their vision, trying to explain who this, the Lord is and in all his glory, the mighty seraphim were, were covering their faces with two wings. You see a picture of a humble posture. The humble posture of the glorious seraphim before the throne of the Lord that Isaiah saw. That reveals to us the posture fitting for the glory and the perfection of heaven. When you look into heaven and you see the creatures that God made, they weren't standing there in, in a sense of independence and self-worth. The promise isn't that when you go to heaven, you will finally be like God and, and set free from service. The picture is one of submission and dependence and service as it was in paradise, as it is in the church. If you define the perfect life as a life of being served rather than serving others. If your definition of a good holiday is doing what you want rather than obeying the will of God, then you need to look closely at this vision. You need to look closely at what it means to belong to this holy God. Look at the vision of heaven. For you are closer to the glory of heaven when you are selflessly raising children, even difficult children, when you are emptying yourselves out for the, for the vulnerable and for the undeserving, when you are becoming a servant to others, serving the furtherance of the kingdom in your work, you are closer to heaven than when you are living the so-called independent life, gaining your treasures here on earth, being the big shot. Our perfect Lord Jesus showed the glory of God, the glory of the vision of Isaiah. When he humbled himself, he came in a manger. When he washed the feet of his disciples, before he died on a cross to save sinners. The same Lord Jesus. He is the one who, who rose from the dead, who ascended into heaven. He is the one that, that Stephen saw standing at the right hand of God that, that Jesus, that John tells us that Isaiah saw in this vision. The humble king. And although we cannot see him today with our physical eyes, we can see him with the eyes of faith. When we gather together and for worship, when we lift up our high, eyes on high to where Christ is seated, says Colossians 3, look at how the seraphim humble themselves before our King. 
Think about that. Is it fitting? Is it fitting for us to casually saunter into the presence of God as if we were doing God a favor to be here? While the seraphim are are covering their faces, can we really look at at the holy God in, in the face feeling all entitled, demand that he explain himself to us? And yet how many times do we do that? The vision of Isaiah 6 shows us how important it is to prepare ourselves for worship. To prepare ourselves when he, when he calls us to enter into his presence with thanksgiving. Psalm 95 verses 2 and 3. He calls us to come enter into his presence to worship him. Can you think... Can you think of anything you would rather do than to join yourself to the innumerable angels in festal gatherings, says Hebrews 12, in order to worship the king who is is lifted up and exalted on his throne? If you understand what that means, you can also understand why we ask the question, how can a person with the Holy Spirit in their heart possibly justify choosing to spend an extra day at the beach or in the bush or on an airplane rather than leaving the world to stand in the presence of this glorious king, our eternal judge. It's only when our eyes are closed It's only when we think about ourselves. It's only when we cannot see beyond these visible realities, when we forget who's on the throne. When the Holy Spirit is working in your hearts, brothers and sisters, he lifts up your hearts and he lifts up your minds to see beyond the pews and the pipes of this building to the throne of the great king. Praise be the king. We worship him now. The Holy Spirit helps us to see that that the seemingly ordinary things of some men walking into the building is is the entrance of, of the office bearers that God has appointed to us. The call to worship, however it may be, the silent prayers, the, the preparation of God's people to meet with their king, the texts, the songs, they all serve to make it very clear that we are meeting with our covenant God. And we are not just going through some rituals here on earth. Worship the King. When the Holy Spirit lives in you, you know that you are worshiping a holy, holy, holy King. The seraphim explain why they are covering their faces and their feet When they call out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The threefold holy is emphatic. The Lord of hosts is the holiest. He is not just a glorified man. But he is spirit. His fullness goes beyond our comprehension. Holy Father, Holy Son, Holy Spirit. 
His holiness is also like a a terrifying fire that devours up anything unclean, harmful, or rebellious. Psalm 29, we sang that his voice thunders. It it shatters the the cedars. It, It burns like lightning. And as they were calling and responding to each other, the the sound of each seraph's voice would cause the the foundation, the structure of the temple to shake. Maybe similar to the feeling you get when your whole house shakes in an earthquake. The word holy was echoing through the skies. Imagine what that was like. Holy, holy. Holy, holy, back and forth. Smoke was filling the temple. And Isaiah, and Isaiah, he cried out, Woe is me. For I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Verse 5. Although he may have been one of the holiest men of all men in his day, Isaiah immediately feels exposed. He feels deserving of death. The woe prophecies that he had uttered against the sinful nation in Isaiah chapter 5, they become personal as Isaiah suddenly recognizes he's no better before the holiness of God. He's standing in the midst of seraphim who are covering their faces in spite of their own holiness. You see, brothers and sisters, when we see beyond the confines of the standards that we use to judge ourselves, when we stop comparing ourselves with other people, other sinners, when we find ourselves in the presence of the Holy God, we realize how much we need to be forgiven. In his grace, God shows Isaiah that there is forgiveness. There is forgiveness through the altar of sacrifice, that that feeling of joy to see grace. We have that, brothers and sisters, every Sunday again, that, that uplifted feeling to know that God does not leave us to be punished for our sins. He shows that there is forgiveness through the altar of sacrifice and prayer that altar that pointed to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. And Isaiah sees that one of those holy seraphs is eager to serve him, the lowly sinner in the glory of heaven. And he flew down to the altar with tongs in his hand and he took a burning coal and he pressed it against Isaiah's mouth to purify his mouth. Isaiah's vision shows us how much we need Christ before we can stand in the holy presence of our God. That that vision speaks to us, brothers and sisters. It, it, It talks to us. It tells us. God reveals to us what a privilege it is to know Jesus Christ. We can only remain in the presence of the holy, holy God for all eternity when our sins are forgiven. The words of the seraphim calling to one another come to our ears when we listen to the reading of the Ten Commandments. 
And as we place ourselves at the foot of the mountain of the Lord, one more time, we, we hear him call to us to be holy as he is holy. And every worship service we begin recognizing, woe is me. We cannot measure up to God's standing. What a blessing it is then when God calls us to confess our sins before him. And here, brothers and sisters, we, we do that with the, with the understanding that we are in the presence of the holy God. It's not a ritual, not just some words we mutter. It comes from our hearts. Woe is me if I do not confess my sins before the Lord. And what a joy, what a joy to hear the words of Scripture to pray to God. Behold, the Lamb of God has taken away our sins. He bore God's wrath for us. We may remain in the presence of the Holy God. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. John saw the, the Lord Jesus at the right hand of the throne in heaven. The Lord Jesus, he is the center of our worship. He sends us out then to fill the earth with his glory. It's striking that Isaiah was not permitted to spend the rest of his life just, just basking in his forgiveness and his own blessings and the grace of God as he contemplated the Lord sitting on his throne with seraphim flying around him. Isaiah couldn't stay, spend his life looking at the glory of God and forgetting about everyone around him. Like the elders in the desert who, could also, who also saw the glory of God in the tent of meeting in Numbers 11. The same way Isaiah was, was sent to return to the work among a sinful, ungrateful, complaining people. You can see how much he would have preferred to just look at the glory of holiness. But God sent him. Whom shall I send? Who will go out for us? Possibly a reference to the, the triune God, the I and the us. The triune God as the most Holy, the most almighty king of the universe. Look at this. He wants to use the preaching of a little lowly man who even has unclean lips, purified now. He wants to use this little man to spread his glory. Well, why? We don't know, but it's true. Can you imagine what Isaiah must have thought and felt? The forgiven Isaiah? Me? represent you on the earth? You want me to serve as your missionary? Here I am. Send me. In John 12, the Lord teaches that those who believe in him will be willing to lose their life and follow him because they love the glory that comes from God more than the glory that comes from man. The Lord is righteous in the time of Isaiah, the holy king once was fulfilling his plan according to his righteousness. And with the word righteousness, it means that God is faithful to his covenant promises. The Lord is righteous. 
The faithful people had to be kept holy and separate from the, from the world so that the Savior could be born from among them. We find this vision in this particular time in the history of Revelation. The full number of elect had not yet been gathered in. The Holy Lord had to be proclaimed to the world so that the whole earth could be full of his glory. Isaiah would need courage to preach the righteousness of the Lord because it would be a two-sided message that no unbeliever would want to hear. Not even the unfaithful and the covenant people of God would want to hear it. The Lord tells Isaiah to preach that the covenant curses promised long ago would be applied to those who reject God. Ever since paradise, but even more clearly in the law, Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 27 to 28, God had told the covenant people repeatedly that if they rejected him without repenting, they could not participate in the holiness of his glory and he would instead punish them with famine and with disease and with enemy invasions. And if after centuries of opportunities, they still did not repent. God promised that he would leave the temple, hand the nation over to the enemies, the, the ultimate punishment, the fullness of their wickedness. Isaiah was now sent to tell God's covenant people that they had reached the end of God's patience and in keeping with his word, there would be no turning back anymore. The last curse before the actual punishment was the hardening of the hearts of all those who had repeatedly rejected calls to repentance and humility before the Lord. The preacher would bring the light of God's glory to those who had rejected it so many times already, but it would blind them and not penetrate their hearts to bring repentance because God was punishing them. That's Isaiah 6, verses 9 to 10, they would hear but not understand, see without perceiving. Their hearts would become slow to respond to the preach. Uh, their, their, the, the preaching would, would block their ears and smear paste over their eyes so that they could not see and hear and understand who God was anymore. The final curse before the punishment. John 12 tells us the Lord Jesus continues to fulfill God's righteousness, his faithfulness to his covenant promises once more through his preaching and through his teaching, which opened and closed the kingdom of heaven. When people, says our Lord Jesus, repeatedly reject the preaching and the signs, when Jesus departs, from them he hides himself as God hardens their hearts so, they, so that they cannot see his glory as it is revealed in Isaiah's visions. So they cannot believe the final judgment, the final step of God's judgment before the punishment is, is to take away the desire to repent and turn and be healed. The curses of the covenant were coming, says Isaiah to his people, says our Lord Jesus to those around him. 
Isaiah could see that Israel as a nation had reached the end of, of God's patience. So he cries out, he sees the seriousness. He says, how long, O Lord? The Lord replied that his hand would remain heavy upon them until the whole nation was wiped out and destroyed until he had fulfilled every word that he had spoken, every curse that he had promised. The Lord is righteous. The Lord is faithful to his covenant. You do not play around with the holiness of our almighty God who will not be tamed like we want to do. What he has promised he will do, covering our faces before him before his holiness. Even today we praise him for revealing his glory, for revealing his plan, for showing us what it means to reject him. And re rejoice in his amazing grace to those who humbly trust in him. We praise God for his righteous judgment and his holy wrath against sin Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Reminding us of Jesus' teaching about the narrow path to the kingdom of heaven, the Lord tells Isaiah that many, many people would persist in their rebellion and sin. They would be punished. 90%, nine-tenths of the people would be taken away into exile, we read. But even among the 10% left in the land, many people would persist in the rebellion against God. Jeremiah, the prophet, describes that. The 10% would be burned and purified again. Only a remnant of a remnant would be eagerly waiting for the Messiah, the one who was promised to bear the wrath of God against sinners. Even the exile would not serve to bring repentance and humility to the people of God. And when the Son of God came to the earth, he would still find complacency and pride among the Jewish nation. And we can ask, couldn't they learn? Why didn't they learn? If you compare the covenant people of God to a great tree, an oak or a terebinth, the number of rebellious people who did not truly repent and seek their salvation outside of themselves is like that, that 30 or 40 feet of the oak or the terebinth that, that goes up and it spreads its mighty branches in all directions that, that makes it look like it, the, the glory of the tree. And from the outside, when you see that, it looks like, like everything was going fine as wealthy Comfortable people went through the outward motions of religion as it happened in Isaiah's day, as it happened among the Pharisees and the Jews in Jesus' day, as it happened in the Reformation, and as it could happen also today. But the axe was already at the root of the tree, says our God is faithful to his covenant promises. He won't accept the false, superficial, pretend worship if we do not bow ourselves and humble ourselves before his holiness. The Lord is seeking, says John 4, verse 24, he's seeking true worshipers who worship him in spirit and in truth. 
He cuts off the branches of the vine that are not connected to Jesus Christ, that do not produce the fruit in keeping with repentance. He cuts them off until only a little stump remains. But there is a stump. And in that promise of the stump, we find hope. The hope of Isaiah's message. For God tells us that he will preserve the holy seed in the stump. In the little things. In the humble. The stump from which our Lord Jesus will spring up like a shoot. It's this promised Messiah, our Lord Jesus Christ. It is he who continues to reveal himself today in the worship services. After we enter in the presence of the great king on his holy throne, as we humble ourselves in, ourselves in the presence of his holiness, his word goes out from heaven through the messenger he has sent, urging us to, to trust in the salvation that our covenant God has obtained for all who believe in Jesus Christ, the shoot that came from the stump. And our eternal situation depends on our response to this word, to this gospel. Those who do not humble themselves before God, those who do not repent, those who refuse to embrace Jesus Christ as their only Savior, they will also not see or hear or understand the word of our Lord in Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, the message is clear for every one of us. There are visitors in our midst again this morning. The message is clear. There is life only in Jesus Christ. Humble yourselves before him. There we see the fullness of the grace and the mercy of God. Those who turn away from him will find, like Jesus says in Matthew 13, verse 12, that the little they have will be taken away. But those who humble themselves will hear the voice of their shepherd calling them into the fullness of life and forgiveness. And they will follow him out of the darkness into the light. We will see the glory of the holy God and the humility of his son, Jesus Christ. They will not be fooled by the humility of, of the Lord Jesus, by the, the, the humility of his people. And if you know this Jesus Christ, you are very, very blessed. Because it means that he has been given to you to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. The secrets that Isaiah saw, that Isaiah spoke of. Jesus Christ, the Lord, who is king, who is holy, who is righteous. Let us bow before him. Amen.